Hey, welcome to Real Life Horsemanship, where we go behind the scenes of the horse industry and talk to equine professionals about what it takes to make it in the horse world. Hi, I'm one of your hosts, Anna Wilson. I've been riding for most of my life. I've spent the last few years working colts and teaching riding lessons. I'm Dana Decker, one of your hosts on the podcast. I am currently a stay-at-home mom. I teach horseback riding lessons and natural horsemanship lessons. Hey guys, I'm Ava Falcon, and I am a professional colt starter located in southwestern Montana. Welcome to the Real Life Horsemanship Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Ava Falcon, and our other hosts, Anna Wilson and Dana Decker, are here today. And we are joined by one of my original equestrian heroes and coaches. I'm pretty sure this guest was the first person who ever got me to canter on a pony in my life. <laughs> we have Amber Clark with us today, so woot woot. Here's nice. Amber. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Um, Amber, we like to start with asking our guests um, how you even got into horses in the first place. Like, we like to go right back to the start and just say, what happened to you to make you want to do horses for a living in the first place? I don't know, really. Um, I don't actually recall a time in my life where there weren't horses. Yep. Um, and I started taking riding lessons when I was four years old. And the yeah. really interesting thing about that is that, so I was surrounded by cowboys. I was surrounded by the Western culture, right? I did not know that. Yeah. And my grandparents said, if I was going to ride that they were, gonna make me go for English riding lessons so I learned to ride correctly okay so they Fair. would take me right so they would take me across town um we lived in a little tiny town and they they found a lady and they would take me across town you know once or twice a week and I would go to my English riding lessons um and then I would come home and like if I got to ride a ranch horse one of my uncle's good ranch horses that made a living every day, you know, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. it was such a privilege, unbelievable because they were so good. Right. Mm -hmm. And you know, once you get past that first pony, when you're a kid, most of those following ponies are just brats. <laughs> and so like we had every $50 pony out of the paper, you know, and so but my, my first pony was a gym. So I really learned to ride correctly. And then I jumped and, you know, did whatever I wanted, rode in parades. And But the, the really cool thing was that my grandparents saw the need mm. for me to not just get on a horse and be taught by my family. Yeah. They, oh, they knew how important it was. That if I was going to ride, to ride, learn to ride correctly. Mm. And, you know, I, I was learning great horsemanship, but I learned great horsemanship at my lessons, too. Yeah. Um, but I think that's a really unique thing about my story is that, you know, they could have easily just 
thrown me on a pony in a Western saddle and I could have gone off and figured it out. But they thought it was very necessary for me to learn to write English. And I went through a little phase where, you know, there, there wasn't a lot of opportunity in East Texas to, to go anywhere with your, your little hunter stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. So there, there was a time where I was thought maybe, you know, like I would, I would go to the play days and, um, maybe I would run barrels or maybe I would whatever, but it didn't last very long. I mean, I was kind of always, and not because I have had anything against the, the Western deal. I don't, I, I love it. Right. And, mm -hmm. and I would love to ride rain cow horses. And, you know, now we have cow horses that I ride more than anything. Right. But it just really, that was appealing to me. And I think that type A personality <laughs> is attracted to the perfection part. Yep. Mm -hmm. And I didn't like to go fast. Oh. So that one's going to be a deal for me. I still don't like to go fast. The worst <laughs> thing for me is if a horse runs off, I hate it. Oh, yeah. That's ew. so. I mean, I, I really, truly, my memory does not go back far enough to remember a time where there weren't horses. Mm -hmm. And. There was never a time where horses were not my whole identity. Right. And I think that there's, you know, pluses and minuses to that for a kid. But horses were my entire identity, my whole purpose. Yep. And I wanted to ride dressage horses when I was 10 years old. <laughs> and you did. <laughs> and I did. I mean, yeah. I, you know, it, it was just attractive to me. Um, it was something I could comprehend. And so that's what I did. That was my passion. And I spent every waking minute learning about that, cleaning right. stalls to pay for it, you know, right. all the things that you do when you're, you want it so badly. Mm, and you um, just can't stand it if exactly. you don't get it. And I think, you know, I, I've always said that I became a horse trainer because I wasn't good at anything else. Well, <laughs> same though. Oh my God. But I mean, I don't know that that's true, but that's how I felt. I was good at school. You know, I, I could have done other stuff, but sure. I felt like I was going to be a horse trainer because I wasn't good at anything else. And I've never had another job. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, but the thing about the horse business is you learn to be good at other things. Mm. Right. You learn yeah. to build a website. You learn to do your advertising. You learn to do your bookkeeping. You learn all these things. It, it's not just the horse part. I mean, so there's a lot more than that to it. Like talk, speak a little bit to that. I don't, I don't want to cut you off. I just want to, that's such an, that's such an important part to all of us on the podcast. I oh. feel like is like, what, what did you do to start making your business in the horse industry profitable? Because like, it's hard. It's hard to do, right? You, right. So like you what you say like you say you're going to be a horse trainer and then you ride colts and you ride all these killers, you know, and, <laughs> and you can't you don't have any you don't have a resume, so you can't charge enough. Mhm. Mm to make real money, right? Right. And, and I mm -hmm. think I think that people 
who are starting out in the horse business now are at a huge advantage Okay. to what we had 20 years ago. Because 20 years ago, people didn't talk about that stuff mm-hmm. because everybody was really protective yeah. of that information, right? If there was somebody who was successful, they weren't going to tell you how to be successful because <laughs> you might be better than them. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, it, it was just a different culture. Well, with all of the podcasts and all of the information that's out there now and all of these pipelines mm-hmm. for young horse trainers, I think that there's a huge benefit because there's resources. And I can tell you that people who are 10 years younger than me that I watched go through the same thing. Some of them did a way better job because there were more resources, right? Right. So I think you have to advertise. Okay. You you have to have good customer relations. Have to. Have to, have to, have to. And when you're 20 years old, that's not easy. Yeah. Right? I mean, when I was 20 years old, I was really confident and pretty sure that I knew a lot more than I probably did. <laughs> And I was way better with the horses than with the people. But you you have to learn to sell yourself without coming across as obnoxious, right? Okay. And selling yourself, talking about yourself, selling yourself to someone isn't an easy thing to do. That's a skill. And if no one's there to teach you how to do that, then you fumble around and do it every wrong way possible. But you have to not be afraid to sell yourself, right? I mean, right. that's how people find you. I think with Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all this social media, you have so much more of an opportunity to reach your clients, your demographic, than we did then. Because, right. you know, then it was like, there was no Facebook. And there what? was no, <laughs> Right? I mean, imagine that. And... Even like building your own website was a pretty new thing. I mean, I didn't have a website. I, I had a business long before I had a website. You know? Like, how did my mom ever even find you to take lessons? Like, I, I mean, that's the thing, right? Is it, is it, was it just word of mouth? Right. Was it that somebody knew somebody? Was it an ad in some horse magazine? Did you come to a horse show and say, oh, that person's a trainer? I mean... Mm-hmm. Some of those were the ways that people found people, right? Right. But really, how did we find people? I mean, it is just such a different deal. Now, I can say that personally, I have done print advertising to support my local horse associations. Okay. Always. I have never felt I got any result from that. Okay. I mean, I I really check that off the list (laughs) because I I think those people already know you're there. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I still think, I still think you need to do it to support your organizations because you know, the, the print advertising is a big thing for them Okay. in your, you know, their omnibuses in their calendars in their whatever. I think the advertising at the different events, right? Whatever it is, a horse show, a sale or whatever. I think that's a good thing to do also 
Same okay. reason. I think you've got to support the people who support you. Mm, yeah. Mm, yeah. Right? Preach. You, you, nobody may ever call you from that. But it does put your name in people's mind. Mm -hmm. And you have to support those people who are supporting you. Because without those people who run those things, you don't have anywhere to go. Right. And that's mm -hmm. a thankless job. I mean, running those events is a thankless job. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I do think that kind of advertising is important for that reason. I don't know that you ever get anything from it. I really don't. Those people that get that stuff, that see that, they already know you. They already know you're there. Right. I think the, the social media thing has a huge reach. I think maybe you do reach people who never knew about you. Um, the website thing, you know, for a long time, I, the website was a great advertiser. I mean, you would get phone calls where people would say, I did a Google search and I saw your website. Anymore, I mean, I don't know. I haven't updated my website in years. <laughs> you know, it's still there. Sure. But I don't know that in our industry, unless you're standing stallions or, sure. um, you know, things that are kind of active like that on the Internet. I, I don't know that it really matters that much. Um, so I, I really think the social media thing anymore is kind of and being out there. You got to be out there. Good, bad and different. Yeah. You've got to be there. Otherwise, okay. those, what, those people can't find you. Like, when you say be out there, what do you mean by that? Like, just go to a horse show even if you don't have the best horse? Or, like, what do you mean I by that? I think so. Okay. I, I think so. I think if you are where, wherever you think your clients are going to come from or whatever you, you want your specialty to be, you need to be competing. You need to be selling horses you need to be you know involved in that okay maybe you don't have the best horse but is it trained the best you can train it well people notice that right i mean pe people do notice that it's not always just the best horse sometimes they go well, you know that's an average horse but man look how well trained it is i could ride that horse well, you know, the top horses, the best horses, your average person can't always ride. So that's that's really great that you make it look great and it wins. But, I mean, you got to make horses for other people to ride. Right. And and that is, I used to have this, this mentor. He taught me more than, I, I mean, I could ever even tell you. His name was Doug Thompson. He was from Texas and he he trained so many horses and so many different things and knew more about how a horse's body works than anyone I've ever met in my life. And he wow. told me the, the best thing he ever told me was the best horse trainers don't make the most money, aren't the most famous. The people who make the most money and will never starve and are the most famous are the people who can make horses for amateurs to ride. Mm. If you can make a good amateur horse, you're never going to starve. Because somebody always needs a horse to be better for them. 
you know, when, when people's yeah. horses go around for them, like they do for you, they're happy. Right. When their horse goes around great for you and not great for them, it's mentally hard on those clients. And I mean, it, it shouldn't be because, you know, if they could do what you could do, they wouldn't need you. Right. But it That's is, it's, it's point. mentally hard on them. I mean, they, they want to be able to feel like they're making the horse look like you make them look. <laughs> they make the horse go like you make them go. It's mind well, games. It, I mean, it, it is, probably, yeah. It is a little bit. I mean, because they get down on themselves so fast. So fast. Um. Well, and I and think I, we've all been that. We, we've all been that student, too. I'm sure I know I have been. You watch your trainer go around on your horse, and you're like, well, they're, they're magic. How can I do that? <laughs> right. Or you're like, you know, something dumb where you're, I, I was taking a lesson, I don't know, five or six years ago. And there's like this one thing. I had this great horse. And we're going to U.S. Nationals. And I'm like, can't pick up the canner to part. In, oh, no. in the FEI test. And I'm like, what the, you know, why can't I go walk canner? And <laughs> I, I'm thinking, this is not hard, right? And I'm thinking, you're in your head too much. It's whatever. And finally, the, I, you know, I'm like, I feel like my reins aren't even. So I'm like lengthening my left rein, lengthening my left rein, lengthening my left rein. And finally, the instructor says, why don't you shorten your right rein? And I'm like, Eureka, why am I thinking of that? <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm sitting up there in my head telling myself everything bad, right? Like, yeah. what are you doing? Are you freaking kidding me? Like, you can't pick up the right lead if this happens in the ring. And, and I'm getting more tense and he's getting more tense and he's getting more crooked and it's getting worse. I mean, you know how that <laughs> stuff is. Uh -huh. And then uh -huh. all of a sudden I'm like, well, yeah, why didn't I just shorten my right rein instead of in my left? What a dumbass. I mean, <laughs> you know, but if, if you think about that, we have those moments mm -hmm. and we feel pretty confident about what we can do. Those amateurs, I mean, they're tearing themselves down the whole time. Right. Mm -hmm. A lot of them. Mm -hmm. um, and if they hit a wall like that, you know, now I've got enough age on me where if I hit a wall like that, I'm probably just going to step off mm. and maybe take a minute. Right. And look at mm -hmm. it or walk around for a second, you know, because it we don't have to fix it today. It's still going to be there tomorrow. And you know what? It might fix itself overnight. But you, you don't or I didn't at least have that wisdom at, you know, 18, 20, 25, maybe not even 30. <laughs> I mean, I, I thought it had to be fixed right now. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. And I think those amateurs start to feel that way. They get desperate and then they ride worse. And then those horses are like, what is going on? <laughs> They're like, please help us. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you've seen those horses start to react and they're getting worse. And you're like, okay, I mean, take a pause, you know, cause now the horse is like, I don't know what is going on here. No one is in charge of this deal. <laughs> Um, I mean, Amber, you've like 
we're this has got me thinking about your horse show because we're talking about amateurs at horse shows and horse shows and competing and um you've had some big successes in the usdf competitive dressage rings can you talk a little bit about um what it's been like competing in that it's in that organization and any advice you might have for people who want to get involved in competitive dressage um i mean i loved it i loved all my time competing uh, i'm not sad to not be on the road like i was and competing you know to have taken a little step back mm-hmm. but um i think the best advice that i can give somebody if they want to compete is find somebody to help you do that find somebody okay. to help you be successful and i i think that that is an important piece don't just go out there and horse show find somebody who can help you be successful and maybe success is different for every person but i mean get get yourself a a backup a team a resource because <clears throat> there are so many nuances to writing those tests and getting a big score and presenting things the right way you know it isn't all just about how the horse is trained and those are those things are huge i mean when you get down to it anybody can ride around in circles and straight lines and you know whatever but it's it's that knowledge that i think is is what a lot of people go into the competition deal and don't have that um that extra piece like ride your line this way and it's going to be a half a point higher mm. your accuracy matters uh make sure in the ring that you can do this but don't do this you know uh always pet your horse at the end. I mean these little things that seemingly do not matter. They matter. And the only person who knows that is somebody who's done it. So so I yeah. think the the competition thing, I mean find yourself a resource. Mm. Don't go out there and try to do it by yourself. Um cuz I I think a lot of people with dressage especially, they get discouraged. Mm. because they go out and they maybe get a score they don't want and maybe the community's not that welcoming. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> maybe they've got a non-traditional horse. Hmm. And they're nervous about that. Well, I can tell you that I've won on every kind of non-traditional horse there is. It can be done. But all these little secret things make a difference. And mm-hmm. so so you need somebody in your corner, right? To say, "Okay, well, today wasn't your day, but if we change these things, I think tomorrow might be." Right. Yeah. Right. Um I I think that dressage has become more welcoming and I think it has become more accepting over the last decade for sure. But I think it's intimidating. for right. someone to join try to join that community because if you run into the wrong person mm-hmm. it's going to turn you off well you know 
you can generally, uh, at least I think about it this way, you could probably go down to the rain cow horse show or your local cutting or, you know, the team roping on Friday night. And those people are going to be nice. <laughs> yeah, I would right. speak to and, that. They're fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bunch of cowboys. Right? Like, I, like let's I've drink never, a beer and have a good yeah, time and ride right? our horses. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I've been around cowboys my whole life. And you're not going to convince me that those are not great people. And right. so I, I think that it's easy for somebody to say, man, I tried going and doing that, that dressage deal. And it was so intimidating. But when I go over here, you know, maybe I'm not any good. Maybe my horse sucks, but <laughs> they're still nice to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And so I, and I, I do think dressage has a stigma. I think dressage people are friendlier than you think. Um, you're friendly. Yeah, I'm, I'm friendly, but I was raised <laughs> by cowboys. So. <laughs> 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 um, but I, I think there are a lot of friendly people. And I will say cool. that I think the dressage community in Colorado definitely was a lot different than the dressage community in Atlanta. Okay. Um, and I think probably because it's so much smaller partially i also think that um and and this is changing in colorado for sure but i think that the expectation in the dressage community in atlanta from the clients was a lot higher yeah um you know we were in arguably the most competitive region in this country in atlanta and if you could you could hang there you can hang anywhere Right. Um, so I, now I still have friends in the dressage community there, and I do think it's changing. I do think people are becoming more welcoming, friendlier, more willing to help these people, these grassroots people that want to get in dressage. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think that's improved nationwide. Um, but it, the dressage thing can be intimidating. The good thing for me was I got involved in it when I was a kid and I didn't know any better. <laughs> right. You were just like, yeah. I'm here. Yeah. Well, here yeah. I come, world. Like, you guys just it, better make way. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you know, we went to the horse show in our Yukon and our two-horse trailer. And I had a little gray quarter horse. And, yes, I love it. You know, I probably barely could keep him round. <laughs> and he was not a good mover and you know i mean he he wasn't gonna win anything big he wasn't very impressive but he kept me safe right and he was a good boy and he would try Mm -hmm. and he would learn anything you could teach him right and you know so i was riding in clinics and taking lessons and i was like yeah i'm doing this dressage thing I love so it. I, I, I wish I could have met that. little Amber. I wish I could have met <laughs> me Amber. I think she's my hero. <laughs> I was like, but I, I think I was lucky. I think for adults moving into the the dressage show world is a tougher thing. What kind of advice would you get give someone who has more of a a 
branching background who wants to break into dressage or English, um, you know, because it could be, like you said, intimidating. I think you need to be clear on what you want to do, what your goal is. Um, I also think you need to be clear in your head that the horsemanship part of it is the same. Interesting. Amber, you're the coolest person we know. (laughs) So if you, you know, if, if you have good horsemanship and you learned the right things and you know how to make a horse soft and use its body in a Western saddle, then you know how to do all those things in an English saddle. Um, and it's not, it's just not in that much different. Mm. Um, I also think the Western dressage thing, the growth of the Western dressage thing is a great stepping stone. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. That would be a great stepping stone for someone coming from more of a ranching background because I haven't done any Western dressage, but it might be easy to make that step and then make the step to going into traditional dressage. Um, and then I, I think, again, I think you just need to find a resource, a person who is willing and has the knowledge to help you. Mm. That is a tough thing, right? There's a lot of people who will, the thing about the horse business is anybody can hang their shingle out there. Right. Mm-hmm. Find somebody with a resume mm. who they don't have to have won the world, but find somebody with a resume where they've trained some horses. They've had some success in the show arena. They know the deal more right. than you. And when then find that person and utilize that person to help you. I mean, I, I think it's hard to do it by yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In anything, I think it's hard to do it by yourself. But in dressage especially, I think it's hard to do it by yourself. That that person you choose, they should still be seeking education. Preach. You know, don't don't be riding with anybody who isn't riding with somebody. Yes. Oh my gosh. Say it again, Amber. Just say it louder for the people <laughs> in the back. <laughs> I mean, and I don't care if it's in their discipline or not. Again. But they need to be learning from someone. <laughs> I'm full on air fist pumping you from my house at a little cow camp in the middle of nowhere, Montana. Amber, right she now. really is. <laughs> I mean, the, you got to think about it. The best people in the world have help every day. Mm-hmm. They have help every day. So that they don't get into a bad habit. So that, right. you know, the thing they miss on their horse, whoever's on the ground catches. Right. Okay, well, if the best people in the world have help every day, how do we think we're going to do it by ourselves? It, it really is is ridiculous to think that the better you get, the less you need help. It's almost like the better you get, the more you need help. <laughs> and you have... Do you currently have anybody that you look to for advice um, or seek help from and what you like about it? So I I don't have any real 
like big time horses going right now. I just have some, I have a, a group of ladies that um, have some lower level horses that want to learn. Some of the horses are green, you know, but the, the person that I go to, two people that I go to or would go to have a history going to. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. If I had horses going and showing or George Williams, and he's the president of USDF and he's a fantastic instructor. That's cool. Um, he's the USDF junior young rider coach and has been for a long time. Um, great communicator. Just, I mean, amazing with seeing things in horses and communicating it to people. Any person, a professional, an amateur, a kid, doesn't matter. And then another person that I would say is really someone that I would seek advice from is Christoph Belay. And he's up there in the Northwest. Um, okay. But really, really classical French thinking. And he mm. helped me with some mm. horses. I mean, it's been a number of years ago. I was still in Atlanta. But um, he helped me with some horses then and it changed those horses and it changed my thinking about a lot of stuff right yeah that that input was good for me and i i have a really good friend who's actually started riding with him some clinicking with him in aiken and she's a great trainer and has a lot of experience and great horses but she found that same thing. It kind of unlocked a box for her. Yeah. And then I think it's important to have people like that, like your peers, that you can call and say, okay, I got this horse that's doing this. Yep. <laughs> and I can't figure right. it out. And it's weird. And I've done X, Y, Z. What do you think about that? I'll send you a video of it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> The good thing about iPhones is that you're like, look at this wreck I'm having. And you text it to them. <laughs> look how much I feel like I suck today. Help me. <laughs> I, I, this is horrible, but I say I feel like I rode like a fat kid today. <laughs> you know, I, mean, I have this vision of like a Christmas story, right? The kid in a Christmas story, like bouncing around on some Thelwell pony. And that's how, you know, you'll feel like that. You're like, God, it felt awful like a kindergartner. Right. Um, uh-huh. But I, I think those peers are important and they don't even have to be where you are. Call them on the phone, FaceTime them, send them a video. Uh, do a podcast with them. That's what I did. I know the amount of, the amount of videos and things Meg's gotten from me. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, I think that that is a huge thing. You better have some friends that are your peers. Yeah. That you trust, that know how you ride. Yeah. That know how you make horses, right? That want you to be successful. Yes. Yes. Yep. That are invested in your success. Mm. Um, so when you call them and you've got a problem, it's not an inconvenience. They're like, oh man, we better figure that out. And then they think about it, right? Right. You talk about it on Tuesday and then on Thursday they call you and they're like, I've been thinking about that deal. You got to try this. You know, I was thinking about it today when I was riding. Hmm. Those, those people I think are important. And That's I cool. think I didn't value that enough 
early on. I think I've learned that as I went and I wish I would have valued that and known that a little bit more starting out. Because that, that money you're spending promoting yourself or horse showing or whatever, you need to be spending some of that on finding a mentor, finding mm-hmm. somebody you trust to help you because it's a whole lot easier like that. Yeah. And I don't care if it's, you know, I, I had, so I had a horse, great horse and he, he died in November, but I'm so sorry. Was, oh, gut wrenching. Right. Right. 20 years of my life. I spent with that thing. Mm. Um, but as a young horse, an absolute criminal. criminal. <laughs> That's how I ended up with him. I mean, yep. criminal at three years old. Mm-hmm. And a talented criminal. <laughs> like, just physically made the right way where it was easy to be a criminal. <clears throat> and, you know, I, I struggled with him because I was at an age where I was like, oh, I can ride any. And I pretty much could, but I couldn't get around him, not the way I was doing it. Right. He was better than me, you know? And so I had to learn a different way. I had to learn some different things. And if I had not had people to go to then that, okay, these people didn't do dressage. These, you know, one in particular, Dale Brown. He, he trained Arabs, but by God, he knew horses. And he lived a few hours away. And I would call him and say, okay, uh, I'm, I, I hit a wall. Like, I thought I was doing really good. And he right. was going around good. And everything was great. And then today I had a wreck. And I need help, you know. Yeah. Or I feel like I need to lay this horse down. Or I feel like this horse needs to learn to wear the hobbles. And I'm. I'm not getting anywhere with it. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. he'd say, bring him down here. I'd haul him down there. And, I, I mean, so that horse never would have been anything without having help. Now, I wish I had known how important it was to have dressage help, too. Because I think that horse could have done more earlier. Sure. If I had accepted a little more help in that avenue. But I knew I needed cult help. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was not afraid to take that. And that's the thing. Maybe it's not in your arena that you, you need somebody that can help you. You better have made friends in a bunch of different disciplines. Uh, I'm... I'm curious, Amber, if we back up just a little bit. Um, do you think a budding trainer needs to have a show record, or is it enough to just, like, produce good horses? I think it's enough to produce good horses as long as that's the lane you want to be in. Okay, fair. Yeah. If, if you want to have show clients, then you better be out there producing show horses. Okay. Right. I think if you're if you're making good horses in the avenue that you want to be in, all you need to do is make good horses and do the right things with the people. Right. That, okay. That's that's a lot harder deal. And if I could go back 
and redo my client relations now um, for, you know, before I was 30, I would do that. Because mm-hmm. I promise you I made a lot of mistakes. Um, but I think that's where young trainers now are so much better off because, you know, I listen to these podcasts and they talk about some of this stuff and I'm like, man, I wish somebody had been there to tell me that. I, I wish somebody would have said, don't do that. That's stupid. <laughs> mm-hmm. back. You, you've got to handle these people the right way. Right. Um, yes. <clears throat> yes. It's dumb. You're, you're not wrong, but you can't handle it like that. Right. Um, I mean, that, that people part is important. I think you better produce good horses in your lane and you, you better deal with people in a good way. You better always be honest, even if it's not what they want to hear. And I, I will say, I, I don't think I made a mistake there. I, I felt like I was always honest with the clients about what the horses were, maybe too much, (laughs) maybe to a fault. Right. But I think you better always be honest with them. But you may need to do it delicately. And sure. And I was pretty black and white. Like, it's this or it's this. Amber was like, Ava, if I tell you to go post the trot, you better go post it right when I tell you. Exactly, right? I mean, like, <laughs> like, I don't know what to tell you. You put your leg back in canter. If he's not cantering, you're not putting your leg back. I mean, <laughs> there's things that you need to handle differently. Although I do have to say, yeah. as a little girl, I think at the time, you know, you're a kid, so you don't know to, like, appreciate certain things, right? But, like, looking back, like, I think as a young girl, it, in my formative years, it was really valuable for me to have a woman who was my trainer and coach who was dealing with me very straightforward because it helped show me at like a really young age that like it's not personal and if someone's coaching you they're trying to bring out the best in you and i like i do have to say as a side note i appreciate that i appreciated that aspect of your training well like, and I, I mean i think you're right like like i i personally think that you know it it's hard it's a hard sport yeah so yeah, it's hard. Yep. I mean, do this, do that. I'm trying. Okay, well, that's great. But it, you know, you're, you may be trying, but you're not achieving. So let's figure <laughs> out why you're not achieving. But, yeah. mm-hmm. but it's a hard sport. No yeah. part of it is easy. And that's how I had been taught, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. black or white, like, this is what you got to do. Do it. That's how I had been raised. I just thought everybody was like that. Well, not everybody's like that, okay? <laughs> I do think- Amber, I want to ask you about um, a burnout in your career. If you've oh. had one, and if you have, how did you um, handle that? I definitely have. Um, so when I when I left Atlanta, I went to Aiken for a year, and then I came to Colorado. And when I left Atlanta, I was burnout. 
Mm-hmm. I didn't like horses. Yep. I didn't mm-hmm. like business. I didn't yep. like the people. And I assure you, I handled client relations badly then. Because, <laughs> I mean, I just didn't like it. Yeah. But if you if you get to that point where you walk out the door in the morning and you dread seeing a horse, that's a problem. Mm. Um, and most of the time, it's because you're doing too much. You can say it's the people. You can say this, and you. Can, but most of the time, it's you're doing too much. Um, when I came to Colorado, I didn't even want to do horses anymore. I I was like, I'm doing something else. I'll be a secretary. I don't care. Right. I'm just not. Yeah. And and I didn't really think that I missed it. You know? Okay. I didn't do any of those things because. Here's an enlightening little fact. When you've been self-employed your whole life in the horse business, which maybe a lot of people don't know about, you're not that employable to the regular public. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, uh, cricket, cricket, cricket. Because you know how to do a lot of things, but not in any sort of way where you can show a credential. Sure. Right? Yep. So that didn't really pan out out so I spent a couple months kind of floundering around you know thinking like I was going to do something different and that wasn't panning out and then somebody said uh, somebody I knew had known a long time had a horse she needed ridden and I was like oh I'll do that you know well of course then I start and you realize that you miss it Mm -hmm. and so there I am back in the horse business right so, like, what, what was it exactly that, like, made you decide, okay, I'm not going to quit permanently? Was it just, like, that experience with that one horse that, like, kind of opened your eyes to? Mostly, I just needed money. <laughs> Fair. Fair enough. <laughs> That's relatable. It's like, it's, like, why I felt like I was in the horse business in the first place. Well, I could ride horses and eat. <laughs> or I could go to college and rack up bills. Now, I did go to college, but, you know, I'm sitting in a college class thinking, well, I could be riding three horses right now. Yep. Yep. And making a living. Well, I mean, it got where the doing something else wasn't really panning out. And I thought, well, I'll just ride horses a little bit. And then there I was back in the horse business. But... I was back in the horse business on my terms, restructured, mm. not doing it the way I did it in Atlanta. Yep. There were yeah. boundaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't work every single day, seven days a week from, you know, seven in the morning until 10 at night. And I had a lot more control of the situation and it was a lot better. Yeah. A lot better. And I would say, that having that control kept me from being burnout. Again, right? I mean, I yeah. love horses. And <clears throat> I know that I love horses. Now, I had a I had to have surgery on my wrist and it changed a lot of things. So I had to scale way back. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't mm-hmm. because I was burnout. Yeah. 
Okay. It was just because it changed what I could do. But you yeah. know what? Now I ride our horses like for fun. If that makes, you know, I mean. Yeah, I can't really imagine that, but I. Right. I, Sounds I amazing. Like I, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I always have a purpose. Sure. I'm always, you know, you never lose that. Like you're training, and and we have colts. I mean, you are training. Right. But mm-hmm. when you know, I would, I would get, ga- we would gather and work cows, and when Blue was alive, you know, Blue was trained, so. I would just take him and I mean I might do one tippies across the pasture to gather the cows but it was just fun. <laughs> That's so I great. would literally pay money I was, to see I, that. Was, I mean I was riding my own horse because I just wanted to ride my own horse. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know there was a job but still I mean that's a man there's something to be said for that. Yeah. That's great. Well, if if you lose that, you you better uh, start examining things. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's, so we're about at wrap time, and that's like a great uh, note to end on. But we do have one more question that we ask everybody. Um, What is, like, your Instagram caption of advice? What would you tell your younger? It has to be a couple sentences or less. It's like your, it's like your. Yeah, like your Instagram caption, like your inspirational yeah. quote to all the young people out there. Oh, God, I don't know. Amber's oh. like, ah! <laughs> I put her on the spot. <laughs> uh, oh. I think... The, I think the things I would probably say is, you know, be tough, don't quit pack it out it it's gonna pay off all right you you might not see it now but it's going to i mean i don't know about y'all but i feel inspired so uh yeah <laughs> no kidding well, that's good. I'm glad. <laughs> yeah. amber oh my gosh thank you this is amazing thank you so much you're so welcome it was so fun Thank you for joining us today on the Real Life Horsemanship Podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening to our guest today. And if you'd like to keep up to date, subscribe on iTunes or Spotify and give us a follow on Instagram and Facebook.